Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Today, my guests on Work With Purpose are Sandra Parker, PSM, the Fair Work Ombudsman, and Sue Weston, PSM, the CEO of Comcare, which is Australia's National Work Work, Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation Authority. And interestingly, we come together today as Safe Work Month comes to a close in October, and also we bring a focus onto mental health, a topic of great interest and relevance as people continue to deal with the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Sandra Parker began her career as a high school teacher before joining the public service. She has had an impressive career across a range of portfolios, but has developed particular expertise in employment and workplaces. And prior to taking on her current role as the Fair Work Ombudsman, she served as a Deputy Secretary at three federal government departments. The mission of the Fair Work Ombudsman is to create harmonious, productive, cooperative and compliant workplace relations. Sandra, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thank you. Sue Weston is an experienced senior public servant with qualifications in chartered accounting and a passion for innovation and science. She has worked in the APS across industry, small business, science and innovation policy, as well as spending time working with regulatory organisations. Prior to her current role as CEO of Comcare, Sue was a Deputy Secretary at the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science. Sue, to you, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thanks so much. Well, Sue and Sandra, extraordinary times. And at the time of recording, we have the news that Victoria, for the first time in a long time, has no new cases of COVID-19. Government support for businesses and workers here in Australia is slowly being wound back, while the impact of record numbers of new cases in the USA, UK and large parts of Europe on the global economy is a complete unknown. We also come to the end of this incredible year, having also had to manage the additional stress and burden, both personal and professional, of dealing with the catastrophic bushfires here in Australia at Christmas time. Um, with that as our current context, how are each of you managing your organisations? And Sandra I'll, Sandra, I'll start with you. How are you managing your people at this time? Yes, thanks, David. We're, we're a, just a, some context. We're a national organisation, so we've got uh, 22 offices across the Australian uh, community. And um, I guess like most public service agencies, COVID had a really big impact on the agency and, and we came together to serve the community. And, you know, I was really inspired to see the great work being done and the great outcomes that were achieved in a time of significant pressure where we didn't know what was coming next. 
and I, I guess I saw this across the APS with the, you know, the coup committee providing really regular advice on what we should all do, guidance, material and templates. Um, you know, Chris Moratis, the Secretary of Attorney-General's meeting with the agency heads in the portfolio via video, giving us regular updates on the government response uh, and offering support. Uh, we had agencies that, uh, that didn't have an immediate COVID role loaning us staff that were helping us run our call centres and assisting our communications. And I'd, I'd say this gave uh, my staff a lot of confidence and assurance, you know, that we all had their backs, that we were working really hard to put their health and safety first and keeping them really well informed about what was kind of going on across Australia. You know, we had to take account of the really different impact of the pandemic across the various states and territories, as I said. So not only in relation to the clients or customers we service, and I say they're mostly employers, workers, uh, but also peak bodies who represent them and, and, of course, our own staff. You know, what we learned was the importance of communicating, you know, both ways really helped giving staff the confidence that we would be able to manage you know, for me in Melbourne, it's been an absolute roller coaster. The first wave pandemic, then some hope and relief, followed by a really serious second wave, and we're only just emerging from that. Um, I'd say um, I've been really acutely aware of the mental stress that's caused the community we service in Melbourne and Victoria in particular, and uh, and of course my staff who've been dealing with really distraught customers, rapidly changing policy. And uh, we regulate. Uh, we're regulating JobKeeper 1 and JobKeeper 2 while trying to manage our own health, working from home, homeschooling for some, you know, that loneliness of living alone for some people, not being able to see family and friends, not being able to get a haircut. Um, you know, the debate over hotel quarantine in Melbourne has been long, loud and ugly, uh, and it's created its own stress for everyone in Melbourne. Uh, so what I'd say, I, I've, I guess what I'd say is I've learned the importance of being really real with staff, showing vulnerability, not having all the answers, taking a lot more time to ask staff how they are and what they need. The senior executive team and I met every week via video. We talked about how we're going ourselves, but also, of course, how our staff are and how we can support them, and we continue to do that even now. And I'd just say also we learnt, I learnt the importance of walking the talk you know, having a routine, regular breaks, regular exercise, uh, healthy eating, some creative activities, mentors, uh, checking in regularly with friends, you know, to have a laugh um, and, you know, just, uh, you know, talking to people. And I have to say, I th Sue has been fantastic giving me a call pretty regularly just to give me some information on what's happening back in Canberra and just asking how I am, just having a bit of a laugh. Those things have been incredibly important and I, you know, summarise by saying I'm really proud of what we've achieved. So in that, Sue, how did you come to, to get on the phone to Sandra? Obviously, you're, you're friends, you know each other, you've worked together over time. But, you know, was it just something where you thought, I'll just give her a call or did you have a list of people who you were calling? Well, um, David, I, I've got a very big office in Melbourne and um, I pay respect to all the people um, in our jurisdiction who are operating in Melbourne because, you know, I, I could see the challenges. I did a couple of drop-in sessions with staff where 
people just come in, we talked about the football. I have to say, if you start a conversation about football, you don't have to say anything for about 15 minutes because <laughs> they just go. So, um, But um, Sandra and I obviously are, um, uh, you know, we've known each other a long time and uh, she did... Um, indicate to me the, the challenges of operating in Melbourne and I saw that it was my um, business to actually um, keep in touch and, and of course it's a pleasure as well. Um, Sandra shared with me a podcast by um, David Kessler on um, uh, the, the, the loss of um, the world we know and grief and finding meaning and I was able to use that in my all-staff um, discussion too. So, you know, we, we talked about what was, what's been going down um, and uh, tried to um, provide advice to each other. Sandra knows my topic area really well from being DEPSEC in um, employment. So um, uh, we, we talk about that sort of thing too. So, you know, for, for me... Um, um, as I said, we have big presence in Melbourne. We're national as well. During the pandemic, we've opened offices in um, Launceston and Darwin. I'd love to get to meet those people we've recruited into there too. But um, uh, that's part of the decentralisation agenda and we had to get on with that. Um, they're providing useful education role there. For me, also, too, the importance of timely and accurate information during this time, um, you know, the primacy of that health advice and then the state um, uh, orders, and then how does, uh, how, do, um, how does our jurisdiction then adjust to that? So in, my, in the workplace health and safety jurisdiction for ComCare is the Commonwealth Departments and Agencies and 31 large national companies, so really diverse. So, so how do you help manage that? And um, certainly... Um, uh, you know, I think that guidance and information in this fast and uncertain time probably had the biggest impact on providing um, uh, safe and healthy workplaces. So that was key and that's where we focused our attention and working with Safe Work Australia on that. Um, also, just from my own um, perspective, just, you know, probably March, April, I suddenly realised we were in for the long haul. Mm. And I just said to myself, oh, this cadence of communication's got to just steady. We've got to try and make it regular and, and give people information and they know it's coming and it's, you know, gives them some comfort. So I, I guess that was a bit of a really big lesson for me was um, how to engage with staff knowing that we're in for a long haul. And I think we still are. And um, I'm so happy for our Victorians that they have some relief. Um, <laughs> truly, uh, it is a good thing. So in terms of that, though, did you find that you had to um, particularly uh, shape your communication to the Victorian officers, given that their context was so much different to the rest of Australia, particularly for those of us here in Canberra who have been, uh, you know, we've got off pretty well scot-free, largely? So um, when you risk assess, um, you know, what are the risks in your workplace and you consult with your staff, which is what you've got to do under the Workplace Health and Safety Act, you, um, you get to realise pretty quickly that it is um, that there's going to be West Australians who can get back to the office um, and you need to just make sure they're meeting the health requirements about 1.5 metres and four square metres rules and hand sanitizers and all that sort of stuff and consulting with building owners. But in Victoria, you've, you, you're also, you know, you're looking at a different scenario. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we needed to do is um, show that it's not one size fits all and you need to continually, and you can't set and forget, you've got to continually um, adjust your risk plans and talk to your staff. Um, Victoria was changing all the time. And so 
that was a really important uh, element of the workplace health and safety role that we were involved in. Mm. And for you, Sandra, obviously you were in Victoria, you were living it, um, but did you find that you were having to, you know, think very carefully and very clearly about the messages that you were sending to your teams across Australia? Uh, yes, we. So we. I certainly was well aware of what was happening in Melbourne. And I think that I think it actually really helped to be here and be you know with the staff while that was happening. So the impact in here has been relentless. Uh, you know the debates and shouting about when and how to open up again have been you know quite loud, quite angry. You can't help but be affected by that. Staff with children at home have had to homeschool them while working. You know, some living on their own, haven't been able to see family and friends. Being in lockdown meant one hour of exercise a day, travel only with within 5k radius, a curfew and a permit to work under very strict conditions. You know, masks have to be worn everywhere other than at home and that's an ongoing requirement. You know, the, a pandemic is, of course, stressful and, our, and the Fair Work Ombudsman's taken on a lot and reacted really quickly. You know, but the kind of things you might rely on, meeting with friends and family, travel, adventures, they're not available. Uh, so I'm encouraging annual leave uh, for FWO staff. The staycation, of course, is now the new vacation. Uh, and, you know, I've tried to model the kind of healthy behaviours I'd like to see in my own workforce, having a routine, getting exercise at the dog park with my, you know, two mini schnauzers, you know, working on crafts. I have to say I've become very good at making masks, staying connected with others, you know, and having a laugh. You know, we've used internal communications to offer support to the workforce, including offering, you know, professional counsellors. Managers have really stepped up to support the staff and feedback on this has been really positive. I had a, um, a hookup, a phone hookup, a video hookup with just the Melbourne senior executives and there's two things I asked them to do. One, tell me something really awful that's happened during COVID for you and secondly, tell me something really good that's happened to you during COVID and then we all talked about it, shared a bit of the pain uh, talked about the good stuff and it really, really helps, I think. So, you know, the mental health of workers is really of concern and we're dealing with outside workers and employers as well. So not only our own staff. I mentioned that some of the callers have been very distressed. Uh, you know, we've initially when COVID hit, uh, start, they were all ringing up in distress. Workers not knowing what was happening, employers not knowing what to do. Uh, you know, what are the rules, what are the requirements? This was so, like something we had never seen before. And the Workplace Relations Act was just not, it's not, not wasn't equipped to deal with it. You know, to stand down whole, whole workforces was just inconceivable. You know, we, um, you know, we trained our staff to, to manage that. They were doing it from home, on their own, without their team around them to support them. That's pretty tough going. And I have to say, when JobKeeper came in, it was you could feel the relief. It, the, the calls changed. The staff, uh, you know, were feeling better about it. You know, suddenly everything felt, you know, hopeful. Uh, so I can't thank the government enough for introducing JobKeeper. It really, really made a difference to uh, the community and to my staff who were trying to deal with that. And so thinking about that now, though, are you concerned as... 
you know, the, the support starts to be wound back as we start to return to um, a life where there isn't as much support, either for businesses or for workers. Are you wary and how are you preparing your organisations? This is really to, to both of you. How are you preparing for, for what's coming next? So, look, in terms of um, workers and employers and, uh, and workers... Uh, we've been preparing for it for some time. Because the pandemic has hit different states and territories differently uh, and, you know, the response to it, uh, we've already been doing it. So in some states we've, we've provided transition advice a lot earlier than Melbourne and Sydney, for example. So we've, you know, we've provided templates, we've provided guidance, we've provided, you know, questions and answers, scenarios, a whole range of things. So we've done that in, in, a, in a measured way. Uh, so when it happens in Melbourne, we'll be ready for that and we're there to support them. Our call centres are still there to take calls. Our websites have um, updated information, you know, every time there's a change of policy or guidance or health information, uh, we update the website. So I think we're ready. Uh, in terms of getting staff back to work, again, we've practised it in other states and it's already happening. Uh, we're getting our inspectors back out into the field it's all occurring in other states. It's gone really smoothly. Uh, the staff know they're supported. We're consulting them. We're doing it, um, you know, properly and openly and carefully. And we'll do the same in Melbourne. Uh, and, of course, you know, I'm setting an example. As I said, I got the bus into work this morning. Uh, you know, I'm testing things here. It is wonderful being back in the office, I have to say. It is the best thing there are people out on the streets. There are cafes opening up. It's a beautiful day here and it feels really positive. So I'm delighted. I can't wait to see the staff back in the office again. I've really missed them. And by the way, I've been around, emptied all the fridges on our three floors. <laughs> I chucked out all the old off milk, threw out, threw out all the old food. I put the dishwashers on and I thought, I don't want staff coming back to smelly milk. So we're ready. <laughs> Good to hear. And, and, and Sue, for you, um, how, how are you preparing for this, you know, for the next period? Because I, you made the point just a, a moment ago is that, you know, there's a way to run on, in all of this. So from the point of view of the, the jurisdiction, we, um, we worked pretty early on with the Public Service Commission on mental health fact sheets, looking at responding to uncertainty, starting the conversation supporting others in times of uncertainty, those sort of things. And um, one of the things we did was bring forward a um, uh, our, our expanded pilot of a coaching program called New Access. We operate in partnership with Beyond Blue to make that available to 15 departments and agencies, 120,000 staff. Um, for those that um, are feeling anxious or have um, depression and um, it's a low-intensity cognitive behaviour therapy program. And, look, you know, the demand looks like it's there at the moment. It's early days. But but, um, but you had this coming even before COVID. So this was obviously something that you'd already identified was going to be a, a that's challenge. That's right. And right. we were conscious that there were some frontline staff in our jurisdiction who for whom a lot of impact, as Sandra said, groups like the Fair Work Ombudsman, but others as well, um, who... Um, you know, maybe in need of this. And so we brought that forward and we've um, run the, the bigger tender um, alongside that. But um, it has meant that that program has been available earlier than we had planned. And we are, um, we have been um, undertaking webinars, um, 
big response to webinars talking about mental health, coming back to the office. We've got some guidance on coming back to the office. Been look, doing a literature review of what it all means and looking at the World Congress on Occupational Health and Safety, hearing what people overseas are finding in this flexible arrangement coming forward. Um, and people are saying it isn't one size fits all. Um, one of the sessions I listened to in the Congress was saying that um, the younger people as a general, you know, generalisation, aren't coping as well as the baby boomers in being at home. And so, you know, there's a lot to come in this area. And so we're trying to have a look at um, what the research is saying as it's coming along and, um, uh, you know, as I said, brought forward this pilot, um, been giving advice on how you um, get people back to the office, the risk assessment, the consultation with staff, all that sort of thing that people need to do. We've just had Safe Work, work Month, which has had a focus on returning to work and also the um, uh, how you, you help manage mental health in the workplace. And so we've got material coming out. Safe Work Australia too has um, good material across the jurisdiction. Do you fear though that, that what's coming is is going to be something that we're not ready for? and that it could be bigger than, than is anticipated at this point in time? I think that we are, people are preparing, yes. I think there is a big awareness of mental health issues. Mm. And the government too is putting um, resources into this area, supporting a number of the, um, the mental health agencies and not-for-profit groups um, and so on to, to help. Mm. Uh, you know, there were initiatives in the budget to help small business in a program similar to the new access program that we have. Yeah. Um, Sandra, you mentioned there before that you could almost, you know, feel the temperature lower when JobKeeper um, was introduced. But again, we're, we're starting to move into to different phases. You, you talk about that anxiety. You know, you can almost, as you spoke about it, you could feel the, the you know, the anxiety and the, and the pressure and the tension. Are you concerned that there is going to be a wave of um, mental health um, uh, an impact as such that is really going to be very difficult for uh, for the uh, the Australian society to manage. Yes, I do. I, I think we. I think, as Sue said, there's a lot of uh, a lot of supports in place, and, and governments and public servants and other organisations are well aware of this issue. Uh, but there's no question. There's anxiety. You know, just walking around Melbourne over the last, uh, when I've been in work a couple of times, uh, there's, it's great to see shops reopening, cafes, restaurants and so on reopening, but there's a lot of shops with signs on them saying for lease. You know, that's going to have a big impact. Uh, when JobKeeper finishes in, in March, uh, businesses will be, you know, back without that government support and we're going to have to help them. So part of that, as the Fair Work Ombudsman, our role is to assist them, as I said, to transition people back to work to get all the get all those conditions right. But we will be acutely aware that they'll be going through really difficult periods. So examples of that are we need to adjust our regulatory approach. So we will need to take account of their financial circumstances in you know requiring them to, you know, back pay workers in a particular time frame. We will need to talk through with them. You know, our goal is to help them stay open. It's not to force them to close. So we'll be doing everything we can to try and provide that support. We work really closely with organisations like COSBOA, uh, you know, ACCI, uh, AI Group and others who support businesses. 
uh, and we'll continue to do that. And I know they're do they've been doing a fantastic job during the pandemic. They have absolutely gone out of their way to provide support, information and education, and we'll continue to, to work with them. So that's a, that's an interesting point, and, and this is really a question to both of you, is around the responsibilities you have uh, about regulation and, and regulation through a crisis like the COVID-19 pandemic. How has it changed the way that you work and how has it changed the way that you both make decisions? Sue, I'll put that to you first. Well, very early on, um, Comcare adopted the Safe Work Australia Statement of Regulatory Intent. So that was a statement that was put out that recognised that there were exceptional circumstances and that um, we needed to take a common sense approach, proportional approach, um, just look for whether genuine effort had, uh, you know, genuine effort had been made. Obviously, minimise face-to-face -face because there's risks both ways associated with that and focus on those high-risk um, safety issues and provide guidance. So this was a statement that we endorsed that the, the way we were going to operate. And certainly that has helped us in, um, you know, working out what's reasonable. So, for instance, very early on in the pandemic, there was no, we remember this, no hand sanitizer to be had. <laughs> and um, it wasn't reasonably practicable to ask an employer to have it but they had to have soap and water in their bathrooms and make sure that they could provide some sort of mechanism to um, deal with that, that element of the safety regime. Mm. And for you, Sandra, your role as a regulator through this period, how has it affected the way you make your decisions? Yes, we, we've taken a, a proportionate approach as well and uh, we announced that we'd adjusted our compliance and enforcement policy to take, take account of employers' circumstances. So, for example... Uh, if they're on JobKeeper, we assume they're under financial difficulty. And if they've underpaid workers and we've had requests for assistance or anonymous reports and done an investigation, we negotiate longer timeframes for them to pay the money back. So we don't let them off the hook. They still have to pay the money back. It's owed to the worker. Uh, but we take account of the fact that they, uh, you know, they may need longer to pay. It's in our interest to keep businesses operating. We want them to keep running. We don't want to drive them out of business through heavy regulation. I will say, uh, in terms of JobKeeper, we're a regulator in JobKeeper. Uh, we've only needed to use a compliance tool for eight of the disputes we've resolved relating to JobKeeper, and we've resolved more than 1,000 as of uh, mid-October. Um, the vast um, majority of employers have accepted our advice and addressed the issues as soon as they've arisen. So that's very pleasing. And it says to us that the community, employers and workers, are really trying to do the right thing and they really understand the need to do so during this really difficult time. Okay, so uh, a feature of our podcast, as many of our regular listeners would know, is the question from IPA Future Leaders. And today, uh, our question is from Kat Terrace from Services Australia. And the question is, uh, COVID-19 has impacted the health and well-being of every Australian, as well as the occupational health and safety policies within the APS and other organisations. What do you think will be the lasting impacts of COVID-19 on our well-being and on our occupational health and safety policies? Sue, I'll throw to you first on that. Well, thanks so much and hello to all the future leaders. Um, look, I, I'm um, hopeful that the stigma associated with mental health conditions is lessened 
as people see colleagues struggling and seeking help, and that will be a good thing. Another thing too, um, people have been risk assessing their workplaces and consulting with staff, and they've been doing it for months. So I'm hoping that this is embedded knowledge of and appropriate strategies for um, workplace health, uh, managing under the Workplace Health and Safety Act. So I'm hoping that's embedded as a result of this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Sandra, for you? I, I think uh, health and safety is now absolutely front and centre. And when I worked in health and safety policy for many years, you know, it was almost a secondary issue. It's now absolutely front and centre and I'm delighted to hear that. I think that's absolutely where it does fit. It's really important to be able to talk about mental health and to shed any sense of shame or stigma and if, you know, something good comes out of the pandemic, it will be that, uh, that it's become a priority for all agencies across the APS and most employers, uh, if, you know, in the, in the private sector as well. Um, you know, we've seen staff take on, you know, increased workloads. We've seen that potential for burnout. We've seen that going on for months and months with no end in sight. And I think um, the staff, the managers, the executives have really taken account of that and been very conscious of it. You know, Sue's organisation, Comcare, Safe Work Australia, states and territory work health and safety organisations have been really helpful during this period. They've advised us all the way. It's been fantastic how everyone has worked together. Uh, I think we need to keep talking about it, and I think we will. You know, people now feel very comfortable asking, you know, how are you? What have you been doing? Do you need help or not? I think that's that's a huge, um, a huge step forward for us as uh, as managers, and for workers feeling confident to be able to speak up. But then, how how do you do that? How do you normalise it as a as as a part of conversation? How does it become part of the day to day? Well, one of the one of the things I heard and that I've now copied uh, was that um, you know as a manager, you know start start your meetings with so you know let's go around the room and say how we are. Um, and as I said, I had, uh, I had a, a meeting with my Melbourne SES and I said to them, tell me something shocking, that's something awful that happened during COVID. You know, let's talk about the bad stuff as well as the good stuff so that people feel comfortable to say, you know, I've had a really tough time with my kids or, you know, some of them lost parents during the pandemic and they couldn't actually go to funerals. You know, really hard stuff for our staff and I think we need to keep talking about it. They've, my staff have now all seen the inside of my house. They've met my schnauzers. Uh, they've seen some of the, the craft I've done. They've seen my poor cooking attempts. Uh, we feel much closer and I think uh, I'll keep doing that. I think it's really important. And is that the same for you, Sue? Have you found I that? I think exactly what Sandra says. And um, I, I um, uh, would like to call out the managers, the uh, director level who have been, um, you know, they've had their staff move home. They've had to do this engagement on a, you know, daily basis and then talk in the teams. I think um, they're one of the unsung heroes and they are looking out for the mental health of their um, teams and able to see the ones who aren't engaging and um, make sure that they're connected up with the information that's available. And uh, look, I think um, 
it is useful to provide accessible information. And I think some of the work done with the Public Service Commission on, you know, dealing with uncertainty, um, importance of physical health, maintaining a balanced lifestyle and the guidance for parents and carers, a tough gig, um, those poor people who had little kitties underfoot during this um, during this time. So, yes, I think information and that we should just keep talking about it. Okay. Now, just in closing, I do want to ask a, a direct question and a, a personal question to both of you, really, um, and it's about yourself. What have you learned about yourself through this period, through this challenging time? What have you found out about yourself that you probably weren't quite aware of um, before it started? And Sue, I'll put that to you first. Well, I did, I think, mention the, that cadence of communication bit. That really struck home to me about the importance of that. And, uh, um, and you know, um, it, it made me stop and think about how I was going to engage going forward. But, look, you know, I think, um, like a lot of people, um, just that anxiety early on of watching... Um, watching what was happening in Italy and how yeah. I felt about that and my family and, uh, you know, things like talking about when we get to July, we might have a family dinner. I've got people outside where I live. They're away. Um, but, you know, <laughs> just when you look at how long that period now is and the fact that we are looking at going into next year um, and perhaps beyond, which we don't know about, is that uncertainty thing and how it actually just makes you feel is, um, you know, and then, of course, you have a greater sense of what other people are feeling and perhaps have been feeling in various elements of their life, pandemic aside. Okay. And Sandra, for you? Yeah, so I'm an extrovert and I love having direct contact with colleagues you know, the idea you can run an organisation completely remotely would have been unthinkable to me pre-COVID. Um, so, you know, with the support of a really great executive team, we've managed really well. FWO's staff have been an inspiration in the way they've adapted and got on with the work of supporting the community and each other. It's been a really tough period. But APS colleagues have uh, been fantastic, supportive, uh, you know, learning us, learning our staff when the call centres were smashed. Uh, I mentioned Sue phoning me every couple of weeks, telling me what was happening and asking me how I was. I, I actually feel really lucky. I've gained a new uh, admiration for the public service and the community. I think we've proven we can do it if we work together. We've done it well and I'm really proud to be a public servant. All right. Well, Sandra, to you, thank you very much. And to you, Sue, thank you very much. And thank you for your service and for your leadership and best of luck in uh, the weeks and months ahead. Uh, it is uncertain. We don't know what is going to take place, but um, I think we're in pretty good hands with, uh, with people like you leading organisations such as Comcare and the Fair Work Ombudsman. Thanks, David. So there you go. A, another great episode of Work With Purpose with two super impressive leaders of the Australian Public Service. 
just fantastic and a great conversation, an important conversation, really. And, and the focus on mental health is something, this normalised conversation around mental health is something we all need to reach for. So thanks again to Sue and to Sandra. Uh, thanks again to IPA for their fantastic support for Work With Purpose and also to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support. Without it, Work With Purpose would not happen. Thanks to you, the audience, for again coming back in such big numbers. I'll be back at the same time in a fortnight, but for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 